you've got a Bible, turn, turn with me to the book of Acts. Uh, just for any visitors, we started a study in the, the book of Acts, um, whenever it was, just prior to Christmas time. And uh, we're just working our way through, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, of the Acts of the Apostles. And we've come, or we pick up again after the Christmas and New Year break, we come to chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, but I want to just uh, read from chapter 36 of chapter 4. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me. Is this the price you and, Ananias, you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the word of God. And we Up until now in our studies in Acts, what we have seen in the main is that the work and the witness and the worship of the early church has been seen in a really positive light. The church is growing. People are being saved. They are pastorally looking after one another. They have now began to deal with the threat of persecution. With great power, 
the apostles continue to testify to, to the resurrection, and we read that much grace was upon them. And last time we, we looked at Acts, we saw that there were no needy persons among them. What a testimony. No needy persons among them. And to ensure that that was the case, we are told that from time to time, certain people within the church, certain people within the fellowship, those who owned land would sell it and would give the proceeds to the apostles and the apostles would distribute as the need was required. We broke in at the end of chapter 4 where we were told of one particular man, Joseph, whom the apostles called Barnabas, and, and Joseph sold a field and he gave the money to the apostles. So all in all, as we look at the early church, everything is actually fine and dandy. And then we come in to chapter 5. And we are introduced to two, church, to two members of the church, Ananias and Sapphira. And it would appear that what they want to do is copy this very kind and generous act by Barnabas and, and do something similar. Or at least... on appearance. And that sadly is something that is so prevalent in our society today. Trying to be or show something that we are not. And we need to be aware, brothers and sisters, of the danger of that creeping into the church. Someone once commented that half of the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be. Now, if that resonates with you, and what we see here in chapter 5 is Satan, the great adversary, changing his strategy. And he has changed his strategy from seeking to attack the church from the outside to attacking it from the inside. See, there is nothing in the verses that would have us believe that Ananias and Sapphira were not members of the early church. And I have to confess that this has been a difficult passage to, to study this past week. It, it, it's a passage that, that I have found challenging in so many levels. It's a passage where I have had to stop often and examine myself. So as we look at it this morning, brothers and sisters, let us remind ourselves that first of all, it is the Word of God. And secondly, 
that it is a true account of what took place one particular day in the life of the early church. Four things for us to try and hang some thoughts on. We'll notice deceit, we'll notice discipline, we'll notice death, and we'll notice dread. Deceit. Luke shows us clearly that Ananias and Sapphira were both involved in this act of deceit. The plan was to sell their land and to keep some of the money for themselves, but actually pretend that what they came and what they brought to the feet of the apostles was what they had got from the sale. Now, before going any further, I think that it is important to stress what is not wrong here. It was not wrong for them to have land. Other people had land. That's not the problem. Nor was it wrong for them to sell the land. That wasn't the problem. Others had done that. Nor would it have been wrong for them to keep some of the proceeds of the land. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Peter makes that clear in verse 4. None of that is a problem. The problem lay in the deceit that they showed. In the lying. In the pretense. That this was all that we got. And therefore we are bringing it all to you. They set out to deliberately deceive the apostles, the church, indeed God. They were in many senses putting on a front, hypocrisy, a mask. They were pretending to be and do something they were not. Perhaps they were looking for greater recognition. Perhaps they were looking to appear better than others, maybe more spiritual, whatever we can't be sure of. But what we do know, what we do know, is that it was a work of Satan who had, as Peter says, so filled Ananias' heart. And brothers and sisters, that is why we are encouraged every day to put on the whole armor of God. It is why we are reminded that the devil is a roaring lion prowling, seeing who he can devour. And then when that doesn't work, he becomes as a sheep in wolves' clothing. And I know, but one of the questions is, how, why did they do this? They didn't need to do it. 
yeah. I, I had to stop at this point and say, could you read scripture? And you can think, what are they playing at? But it is so easy, so easy to criticize them, even condemn them. But the challenge for me was, is my, is our profession backed up by our practice? Are we who we say we are? Does our walk match our talk? Or are we guilty, just as Ananias and Sapphira were here, of saying one thing and of doing another? That's why we're encouraged to say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I, I have been really challenged this week on even that point alone. Deceit. Hypocrisy. Lying has got no place whatsoever in the life of the believer or in the church of Jesus Christ. I don't know what Ananias and Sapphira had envisaged happening when they had this kind of pot of money. And they came just as Joseph as Barnabas did with, with, with this gift. I, I don't know what they imagine, but I can't imagine that what did happen would ever have entered their minds. Brothers and sisters, and I preach and I speak to myself first and foremost, beware of deceit. God cannot be mocked. Deceit. Discipline. Try and imagine the scene if you can. Peter is sitting there, maybe preparing for the next week's sermon or whatever, and, and in comes Ananias and Sapphira. And just as had happened before with, with Barnabas and, and no doubt with others, they lay down this money at the feet of Peter. And notice Peter's response right away doesn't say thank you for this money. Notice what he says. He says, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money? Wow. He never imagined that. How, when you read, ask, Questions of the Bible when you read it, even in your own, not just sermon prep, but when you read it, you know, ask, ask that kind of obvious, how did Peter know? How did Peter know? Well, I believe Peter knew because what Peter got was a direct prophetic revelation from God. And it was something that Peter had to act upon. It was something that had to be confronted, no matter how difficult. It must have been difficult, someone bringing all this money. There's a whole series about there, what we do with our possessions, but we'll leave that aside just now. 
Remember that the church is in its infancy. There was a need then, as now, for, for, for money. It needs to operate. And here's this kind of large donation. But it is, as one writer says, tainted by sin in the way that it is being presented. As I said, there's a whole issue of how and where we take money from, which, which is not unimportant. But the point that I want to make here, and I think the main point of Acts, of Acts chapter 5 here, is that Peter has been made aware of a particular sin in the life of a believer. And that particular sin in the life of the believer is, if not dealt with, is actually going to affect the whole church. A church that is just in its infancy. And I'll pick up on a little bit of that later on. And Peter challenges Ananias on it. That is not an easy thing to do particularly when money is involved. But you see, if this was left to go unchallenged, then lying and deceit could easily have become an acceptable practice in the church of Jesus Christ. And so Peter asks him about it. And he brings out the really important point that in doing what they did, and they're both culpable, in doing what they did, and in this particular case here, Ananias has not lied to men. He's lied to God. And there are times, brothers and sisters, when actions when sin has to be confronted. Yet sadly, what can happen too often is that things, sin, it can be left unchallenged. And there is no discipline. And there is no discipline because we don't want to upset. We don't want to be seen to judge. And anyhow, what will happen is that they'll just go down the road and join the church down the road. This text shows us that challenging sin and that church discipline is important, even though it can be painful. And I would also make the point, the very strong point, that it is my strong belief that restoration must always be the goal in any discipline. Therefore, the grace of God go I. And I know of places, and I know of situations where if certain 
issues, certain sin was handled in this way. And I don't mean the sudden death, okay, but just being confronted. Okay? We'll come to the death, but I don't mean it just by being confronted in the way that Peter does here. Then much future heartache would have been avoided. I know places where things should have been sorted out 15, 20, 25 years ago. And it was brushed under the carpet and it passes down from generation to generation. Peter acted immediately when he was made aware of this sin because this sin threatened the unity and the fellowship and the oneness of the early church. Let's see what happens. Deceit, discipline, death. Verse 5 just tells us that when Ananias heard this, that is what Peter had to say to him, he fell down and died. As far as I can see, and as I said, I've struggled with this this past week, but as far as I can see, there is nothing in the text that would suggest that this was Peter's exercising of discipline. Nothing at all. And so I see it as being an example, and if I am totally honest, an uncomfortable example of God's personal judgment on the sin of lying and deceit that Ananias has committed. I can see nothing else from the passage. Is it harsh? Could he not have been given the opportunity to repent? And I guess that they are fair questions. But I think that is to look at things from Ananias' side and not God's. You see, friends, this, this was not a trivial matter. We need to remember, as I said earlier, that the church is in its very early stages. And this is a reminder to us of what God thinks of sin, sin within his own people. Many of the commentators, and I've kind of read more widely in Acts chapter 5 than anything else recently, but anyway, many of the commentators relate this incident to, to, to the judgment, to, to the same judgment that, that fell upon Achan in, in, in Joshua chapter 7. You, you may remember that, that when they, they, were, they raided Jericho and, and they took things for themselves and it was all to be devoted to the Lord, but Achan kind of kept some of it for himself and, and he hid some of the money and he hid some of the clothing, keep, keep, keeping it for himself. 
And many of the commentators put these two incidents side by side. And, and they do that because both of these incidents happened, if you like, at crucial times in the life of the people of God. In, in Joshua's time, just as before they entered the promised land. Significant part. Here, we are just at the very start of the Christian church. And it shows us the seriousness of sin. And it shows us how grateful we should be that God does not treat us or does, God does not treat me according to my sins. And yes, we may have questions. And I'm sure you do as I do, but don't let them cloud out the most important issue, which is sin must be and will be dealt with. And Ananias just falls down dead. And we're told that, that, that young men came in, they wrapped up his body, they, they took him out, they buried him. And then three hours later, later, Sapphira comes in and, and she doesn't know that her husband is dead. And, and, and yes, again, I, I've got many questions. Why, why didn't they tell her? Why bury him without his wife knowing? And And... And the simple and the honest answer is, I don't know. But, but that's what we're told. But notice what happens with Sapphira. Because she does have the opportunity to repent. She does have the opportunity to own up. Because Peter asks her directly, is this the money that you and I got for the land? It's a direct question. Well, actually, Peter, no, we, we kind of thought we would keep some back for ourselves. Well, that's okay. No, it's verse 4. That, that shows that that would not be wrong. But that's not how she responded. She is still going along with the deceit and with the lies. And no sooner has she committed the deceit and the lies and she falls down dead and is carried out and is buried beside her husband. It's all very heavy. But you see, friends, death is the one thing that none of us can avoid unless the Lord returns in our lifetime. And we are reminded that after death comes judgment. In Luke 12, 3, we are told that what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear will be proclaimed from the rooftops. Watch what you say. Watch what you whisper. Revelation 20, 12 reminds us of the final judgment day of the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the, dead, and the dead are judged to what they have done as recorded in the books. Nothing 
I think this is one of the main points of this passage. Nothing, absolutely nothing, escapes God's eye. We're seeing that, aren't we? With all these kind of uh, cases of uh, child abuse and everything from kind of 10, 15, 20 years ago. And these people thought, oh, we'll do this, we'll go, you know. Nothing escapes God's eye. I plead with you, don't be like Ananias and Sapphira thinking somehow you can deceive God. Turn to him. Turn to him now. While you have the opportunity. And as you turn to him, know his forgiveness and his peace and his joy and his presence and his power. These are heavy and weighty matters. Deceit. Discipline. Death. And finally notice dread. Which, another word for fear. Notice the response to these two deaths. We are told <laughs> great fear. No wonder. <laughs> Imagine we're in the meeting that morning, eh? Great fear seized all who heard. And again, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard. So what we see here is another main point is that fear resulting from the judgment of God is a key point in this account. And it is not for nothing that Paul writes in Philippians 2 when he says this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And again, this was another pause moment in study this week. And I asked myself the question, and I asked you the question this morning, where is the fear of God today? I would argue, politely, that we have lost it. I don't think there is, even amongst God's people, a fear of the Lord. We have got so caught up and understandably so, and rightly so, in the love of God. But we also need to be reminded that he is also a holy God. He cannot look upon sin. That he is also a God who will judge. Because if we don't keep all of God's attributes, then we have a skewed picture of God. God is to be feared. Not in a way that causes us to run away and hide. Whether we used to do that from spiders or Daleks and Doctor Who or, or whatever. Not that kind of fear. But it is to have a holy reverence. It is to hate. And that's a strong word. 
but it is to hate the very thought of sinning against him. That's what it means to fear the Lord. A reverential trust and a hatred of sin. One writer make, makes the point, that a good point, I think, that fear is considered a bad feeling and therefore it is wrong. Yet he says, fear is a friend that alerts us of the danger of sin. And brothers and sisters, when we learn to truly fear the Lord, then we can know, almost, almost paradoxically, but then we can know, as Jesus says in John 10, verse 10, life in all its fullness. We're only into chapter 5. We've noted how the early church knew great power. How they knew great grace. And now, how they know great fear. This was a church and this was a community of God's people that was ready in every way, just as our text for the year says, to get on with the work. To get on with the work that they were called to do. And we will see next time, and as we work our way through the book of Acts, how that work grew. And how the words of Jesus are fulfilled when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. And he is still building his church today and he uses you and he uses me. I said that at the outset. These have been difficult, they've probably been difficult verses to listen to. But difficult verses to study. But brothers and sisters, they are here for our learning. That we may all together grow in the grace and in the knowledge. Let me finish with a quote. So we while since I've given you an Aegis Fernando quote from his book, his study, Commentary in Acts. He says this. The fear of displeasing God and of the consequences of sin does not take away the enjoyment of life. It is rather the gateway to true enjoyment. Let me see that again. The fear of displeasing God and of the consequences of sin does not take away the enjoyment of life. It is rather the gateway to true enjoyment. There's an old hymn and the final verse says this. Fear him, ye saints, 
and you will then have nothing else to fear. Make you his service your delight. He'll make your wants his care. These things are written for our learning and for our understanding that together we might grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray.